Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. So for the last uh, year, about a year ago, um, well, a little over a year ago, Brent and I began to talk um, about something God was putting on our hearts. We, we notice um, the Bible is very clear on one thing. And you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but it says, um, get as many people and put them on a building so they sit on chairs forever. I'm sure that, you guys tell me what scripture that is, right? Yeah. Um, no, actually the Bible says go out and make disciples of all nations. One of the things that really God began to speak a year ago to us, which also led us into this year's theme of being available, was the church is really good at presenting this thing for people to come to, to get entertained. Are you not entertained? We, we do. We got lights and we don't, but we smoke machines and, and great visuals and sound and it's not a good service if the music's off or, you know, there's all these extra things. And God began to speak to us about this idea that, that all these extra things, if you need them, it's not about me. And so we're saying, well, what is this getting us back to, which got us to the reset, was there was this thing called go and make disciples of all nations. And one of the things the church is, is, is okay at in certain situations is raising up other people. But the problem is, is we don't raise up enough people. But we wanted to start somewhere. And so we started this program called the Externship. And it started with about, I think the first one we had, 15. I think the first meeting we had 15, and it dwindled down to 10. And, right, 10? 11. Dwindled down to 11. And we had 11 people for an entire year spend time with Brent and I as we began to talk on leadership, as we began to talk about preaching and public speaking, as we began to talk about ministry and the pitfalls and, and the things that can come, as we began, and what began to happen was outside of just a class format, God began to change all of our lives in the midst of this thing. Brent and mine included. We began to go through things together. We began to see like uh, everything is going on at the same time. We're going, we're being reset, we're being available. We're going through this season where, I mean, every single person that went through this program at one point said, I don't wanna be here which means they were probably supposed to be here. And they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they, and they got through by the grit of their teeth at times, but they didn't stop even when they wanted to and even when, when people were just like, I'm not doing this anymore. They still pushed through an entire year. And I know every single one of them from no matter if it's a little bit to, to great amounts, they grew into another level that they weren't a year ago. And many of these people, as you guys have seen, how many of you guys are in community groups? Lift your hands, lift your hands. If you're not in community groups, get into community groups. It's a shameless plug. The wall's over there with all the addresses. We have one more this year. It's great. Come to the last one. Introduce yourself all over the valley. But you've seen these guys teaching at our community groups, sharing their hearts and their testimonies and what God is doing in their life. And so what we wanted to do to kind of 
end this year journey for them is we wanted to do two Sundays of, of it's going to end up being five for seven. Well, today it's four for seven. And then in, in, in December, it's probably going to be six for seven. But we're going to have them come up for seven minutes and they're going to begin to share their heart out of a theme that Brent's going to introduce to you guys today. And what I want is for us to be engaged this morning. Because not only this, but this is going to you guys as well. What they're going to show you is what it looks like when the testimony begins to fulfill what Revelation says as they were overcome by the what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their what? Testimony. They're going to begin to show you how they overcame and where God brought them now because of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. And it's going to be amazing because what they're going to show you is exactly every story you have, you're an overcomer too. It's just that the enemy tells you you can't make it. The enemy tells you that this is going to take you out. Or he's going to tell you that that season showed you that what this is isn't real. And I'm going to tell you this morning that what they're going to go through in their testimonies, it's going to reverse that and it's going to be to show you, you can be an overcomer because he is real, he's alive, and he's still doing things today. Amen. Awesome. So the title of this message that we're going to preach uh, together this morning is Bleeding But Still Believing. If you're taking notes, Bleeding But Still Believing. I'm going to set the stage here, and then we're going to have four points, one, two, three, four, and they're going to share uh, from their heart on that. Have you ever been through something that while you're going through it, you're crying out to God wondering why in the world you're going through this, but on the other side, you have a revelation, like you look back and you're like, now it makes sense why God had to take me through that then so I could get through this now. Anybody else? Just me? Okay. Some more people. And so I think it's important, Bobby, you, once or twice, um, uh, I think it's important that we understand that sometimes in the middle of a thing, we don't understand, we don't have a clear revelation. It's great to hear someone else's testimony about how God brought them through that thing. It's like when you watch a movie for the first time, you know, uh, you're probably on the edge of your seat if you're watching like a thriller or something terrible happens around the middle of the movie and you're like, what in the world? They have to fix this. This has to get better and you're on the edge of your seat. But then if you've seen the ending and you know it all works out and they get married or whatever and blah, 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 you've seen it. And, uh, but, then, but then you're not on the edge of your seat the next time you watch it. Say I'm watching it with Josh. He's, he loves romantic comedies and so he's on the edge of his seat like, is he going to propose? Is he not going to propose? And I'd be sitting there like, just calm down. All right? I've already seen the ending. It ends okay. And I think sometimes we forget that God has already seen the ending in the middle of a thing, that he's that we can understand that we can have a peace in the middle of a thing, even if I don't know how it's going to work out, knowing God sees the beginning to the end. And he promised something to us in Romans 8.28. That's our theme verse this morning, if you're taking notes. For God works all things together for the good of those who, loves God, who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so it's really important to remember this, because in a valley, sometimes it's hard to see. If you've ever been hiking into a valley, you've gone down a mountain, and on the other side there's another mountain up. You can't see much in a valley, especially if you're up north. You can really just see the mountain on either side of you. And it's the same way when you're going through something. Many times on the mountaintop, you can see for miles. You can see forever on the mountaintop, but in the valley, you have to trust that as I'm heading in this direction, sooner or later I'm going to come out of this thing. And I can only see right in front of me. And sometimes you need somebody with a testimony who's come out on the other side of that mountaintop and said that you can do it too. All right? So we're going to have them come up. And in the spirit of Thanksgiving, come on up, Andrew. They're going to um, give us, they're going to start out by telling you their, their theme this morning. So here's Andrew. All right. Good morning. 
Uh, like you said, my name is Andrew, a.k.a. Drew, a.k.a. Beautiful. So if you guys just let me know, I'll, I'll answer. Anyways, my theme today is uh, I became thankful after I went through the separation with my kids. Now, I know that sounds horrible, but as many of you guys might know, I went through a divorce and I had a separation of my kids. It was about to be the hardest thing that I have ever uh, went through, and I only know that because of when Olivia was born. And I, Can you show the picture? Did you get the picture, Brent? Pastor Brent? Christian? Yeah. Okay, so this is Olivia. She's my youngest one. Right after she was born, uh, her bilirubin levels were uh, not correct, and it was causing her skin to be uh, jaundice. Uh, she looked like a little yellow uh, baby, uh, like a Oompa Loompa. Uh, and anyways, so this is just, uh, she's not hurt or anything like that, but this is a big UV light that she had to stay under for like two days straight. So in my mind, she's brand new into this world, and this is the scariest moment because I couldn't even hold her. I couldn't, I could touch her maybe, but we, the only time I was able to hold her was after, like for five minutes after um, Amanda got done feeding her. So every three hours we were able to feed her and then I could only touch her and hold her for about five minutes before we had to put her back under this light because she had to stay under this light because it would make those, um, the, yeah, that thing, Billy Rubin, whatever you want to call them, low enough to where she no longer looks like a Oompa Loompa and she can go home with us. So the doctor told me, I just need you to let us do this for a couple days and she will then be able to go, uh, go home with you guys. But I was so focused on this, I thought, She's never coming home. She's, gonna, she's dying in this thing. In my mind, I'm so afraid because I don't get to hold her. I don't get to see her. She's so disconnected from me. I'm deathly afraid of this. And I'm no longer looking at what the doctor said, but I'm looking at the current situation and the current storm that Olivia is in by herself. Um, and I want to go through a uh, scripture with you guys today. Uh, if we could put the scripture up on here. That day when the evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There, 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 there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over to the boats over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke up and said to him, "Teacher, don't you care if we drown?" He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "Quiet, be still." And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, a different translation says that Jesus, when the disciples came in with Jesus, Jesus said to them, we are going to go get in the boat. We are going to the other side. Or a uh, different version, or uh, different says we're going to the other side of the lake. Uh, and so Jesus, at the beginning of this thing, made this proclamation, this declaration that they are going to the other side. But in the midst of this, what was happening, these waves started crashing and were starting going through the storm and the boat started taking on water and they were so afraid for their lives. And so they were currently looking into the storm like, I don't know that I'm going to make it to the end of this. This boat is about to go under. How are we going to get to the other side? And so what do they do? They go to Jesus saying, Gee, well, yo, man, we're, why are you sleeping? Like, we're going to die. Do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up, and the first thing he does is speak to the storm and then ask them, where is your faith? See, because he knew at the beginning, he said, if Jesus says something, if he makes a declaration, if God says something over your life or to you, it is going to become 
true. Why? Because he said it. He's not a liar. So when he said we are going to the other side, that's why he was able to be asleep because he knew we were going to make it to the other side regardless of what happens in the midst of the travel right? So in this time, same thing for me is in this time, I was so focused on my storm with Olivia that I wasn't going to be able to take her home. I was so afraid that she was just going to die in this thing. But if I would have just sat and listened to the proclamation and the declaration that the doctor had stating, just let me do this and she will go home with you. But I was so focused on that. But if you listen to where it says in Jeremiah 29 11, that he has a plan for a future today, whatever storm you guys are going through is not a future. It's today. Tomorrow is your future. Next week is your future. Next year is your future. So when Jesus said, I have a plan for a future, we are going to the other side. So today, when you guys are in your storm and you're thinking, God, why am I going through this? Like Pastor said, like, you feel like you're just going through this. Like, why me? In this same situation, God, why me? There's billions of other babies, but why me? Why do I have to go through this separation with my child? Well, now, I will tell you, I became thankful after going through the separation with my kids because now I can now understand to rely on the source that God said, we are going to the other side. I have a plan for our future. And I know no longer do I have to just stare at what's happening when we're looking down and saying, I don't know what we're going to do. How many guys, when you guys have a problem and you're frustrated and something's going on, you're looking down and you're stressing out like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. But instead of looking down, we look up and we say, look, there's the end point and God said we're going to make it, so let's go. So my name is Andrew and this is why I became thankful that I went through the separation with my kids. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Zach, hi. Uh, I'm going to tell you today about how I became thank thankful uh, after I went through losing a job. And uh, I know it's normal, everybody loses jobs at times and stuff, but for me, like, job was my life. Like, that, that's who I was. Like, if I didn't have this, I was nothing. So let me tell you, um, we've been talking about it a lot lately, uh, the Luke 10 moment with uh, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha doing all the work, running around, doing all this stuff. And she goes to Jesus like, what's up? You know, what about me? I'm doing all this stuff. She's just sitting there. What's going on? So I'm going to take you guys through what I like to call my Martha season. It's about 20 years long, so bear with me. <laughs> um, so I'm going to set the stage here with this. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's amazing. Amen. Absolutely. Um, for me, for when I go to work, when I do my jobs, I do it 100%, 150%. I give all that I have all the time. And I'm not trying to brag here, but this job I was talking about, I actually fix systems that they that were old, I, I made them new. Um, I was a, a meat manager at the time. I was making new schematics on how to do it, and they actually took it for the company and did company-wide with what I made for them. So, you know, all things under the Lord. Thank you, Lord, that was awesome. You did that for me, but that's not how I was. I was like, yeah, I did that. That's amazing. You should, you should come back to me when you need help, right? I'm awesome. Um, you know, I, I always hear that verse in my head, but it, it stops because I'm like, you know, I don't hear him. He's not helping me. He's not doing anything. I'm the one doing everything. I got really, really, really bogged down with pride and wanted everybody to see what I was doing. But <laughs> little did I know, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride be go goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 
But to me, that didn't matter because I was awesome. I was doing everything right. No one was doing anything to help me. And it got so bad, like, how, how bad is this, guys? Like, I would go into work. I'd come home and tell my wife, like, I do everything. No one does a single thing but me. That's not possible. How, how dumb does that sound? Like, you walk in, 50 people clock in and stand there, and you go off to work? Like, it doesn't work that way. But in my head, it did. I was just like, no one listens to me. Everything is down. Because instead of me getting what I thought I deserved by being promoted, you know, going up the ladder all the way up, all the way up, doing all this stuff, instead of that, they decided to take me from store to store to store and fix their problems. They never promoted me or anything like that. They would just, you know, hey, this store is really bad at this, go fix it. And I'd do it and I'd come back, no thank you, nothing, just whatever, go back to your job. So in my head, I was like, oh, that's not okay. I'm better than that. I deserve way more than the way I'm being treated right now. This is garbage. Because I, this isn't the word, just listen to this. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things because I'm awesome. <laughs> that's not funny. Um, I can do all things because I'm better than you. No? Oh, well, that's, what, that's how I read it. Um, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give credit where credit is due, and that's not what I was doing. It was all about me. And uh, ooh. so what ended up happening was, spoiler alert, lost my job, like I said at the beginning. But we were at a, a large meeting of all the people, and the district high district manager, who's three people below the CEO, was there. And I, you know, being awesome, went up to him and basically told him that he wasn't doing his job and I can do it better. Um, not in those exact words. Come on. I'm not that dumb. I'm just a little dumb. I worded, I worded it better than that. But, um, yeah, so I ended up saying something I shouldn't have said, and a couple months down the road, things started to decay and getting worse, and I eventually lost my job. Because, you know, pride is awesome. Um, but... Going through that, that was a while ago, a long time ago, but going through that since then, I've been reading uh, this a lot. It says, for I know, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Awesome. Um, but with that, <laughs> uh, I always said, you know, like, God, why aren't you, you want me to prosper? You have plans for me, my future, it's amazing, but I'm stuck over here doing all the work and nothing is coming of it. Just me, just me, just me. But I didn't know, because I'm prideful, that it doesn't end in Jeremiah 29, 11. It's actually Jeremiah 29, 12, which says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. My, my biggest problem was I didn't even want to hear what he had to say about me. I didn't give him the credit that was due, I was doing everything. I was saying, you know, God, I got this, don't worry about it. Then I got fired. Reading all through this, I finally went to him and said, you know what, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Show me what you want from me. Teach me your ways. Teach me how to bless my hands when I work. It's all for you. Teach me how to show people. When I go to work, I want people to see you through my work, not what I am doing, because it doesn't matter what I do. It matters what the Lord is doing through me. So the how I became thankful through this was through Proverbs 11:2, which says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. There's my fall and my pride. But with the humble is wisdom. So through all this, now when I'm, I go to work every day, I'm like, Lord, show me what you want from me. It doesn't matter if I change the world. It doesn't matter if I hand someone a sandwich. It doesn't matter. As long as they see you in me, that's what I want. 
So with all that, that's how I became thankful through losing my job. Hi, I'm Jess, and today I'm going to talk about how I became thankful when I surrendered. Um, I have always equated obedience and surrender to be pretty much the same, you know, with obedience, you do have to give something up. And for me, that's having to give up control. And if anybody knows, I hold on to control with the tightest fist, white knuckle. Um, so for any time having to do, go out and do something for God with obedience, that's giving something up. Um, over this past year, though, I have learned that they are two vastly different things. And that while you can be obedient to God, you can actually have never surrendered. Um, four years ago, um, actually right about this time, uh, we were in between pastors. Our previous pastor had left. Um, pastors Brent and Jen had not gotten here yet, and I was actually ready to leave the church as well, but out of obedience, I stayed. Um, and during that time as well, um, my husband Adam actually was living in Michigan for work, and the goal was that at the end of the school year, the kids and I would be moving back to Michigan as well. Um, but as the months had passed, and I just felt God was pressing in and saying that that is not where you were supposed to do. And so out of obedience, I told my husband, we are not moving back. And shockingly, he said, okay, and he came back, and here we are today. And then... Uh, <laughs> Earlier this year, um, God, again, started pressing in on us and asked us to come and stay at the church and facilitate the prayer and worship nights, and out of obedience, we did that. When I finally grasped the difference between obedience and surrender was going through the externship. So the very first time that I had to give up and in front of my friends and deliver my very first sermon, I had nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. <laughs> I was terrified. I was crying. Uh, I was a hot mess. And I did not want to do it. <laughs> but out of obedience, I got up there crying with my head hanging low. I actually never actually looked up. And the Holy Spirit moved and I let out an entire lifetime of emotion that I had buried deep, pain, self-hatred, doubt, and just left it there. And that for me, after those 10 excruciating moments, was the turning point from obedience to surrender. We see in Luke chapter 22, 61 through 62, it says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This was Peter's turning point from obedience to surrender. In Matthew 4, 19, to 19 through 20, we see Peter's obedience when Christ comes to him and says, leave your fishing nets and come follow me. And he does just that and becomes one of the 12 disciples. In John 21, 6, we see his obedience when Jesus again tells him, cast out your nets, even though they had not been catching fish at all. And Peter knew there was no fish out of obedience. He did it anyways. 
In Matthew 14, 29, we see again in faith and obedience that Peter steps out of the boat and onto the water and starts to begin his walk towards Jesus. But in all of that, we also see that Peter is very full of self. In Matthew 16, 22 through 23, Jesus begins to tell the disciples about his suffering, and Jesus pulls him, or Peter pulls him aside and actually forbids that he will go through that. And Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Again, in Mark 14, 29 through 31, when Jesus tells Peter that he will deny him three times, Peter tells him that's simply not true, God. I will go to prison for you. I will die for you. And while we know that Peter probably agreed and felt that with all of his heart, he didn't say that out of a surrender to God, but out of his own self-confidence. And so we know that you have two paths that you can take. You can either deny self or you can deny Christ. Those are your only options. And so you cannot let your obedience fool you into thinking that you have surrendered. We will see many Christians who will do amazing things out of obedience for the kingdom of God. They feed the poor. They care for the sick. They will lay hands on people. You will see healings. They will speak in tongues. And all of those things are amazing. But if you cannot get to the place where you humble yourself and get on your feet at the, or get on your face at the feet of Jesus and say, God, here I am. Here is my life. Take it and do with it what you will. You have not truly surrendered. And I'm telling you, it's hard. It's difficult. It's something that takes everything in you. But it's also a freedom, a freedom like you will never understand. And within that, the freedom that I have felt has caused a greater intimacy with God. My relationship with him has grown so much through that. It has opened up opportunities, even ones that I don't care for, but I know God has a plan in that. Uh, It has also allowed me to be able to minister to other people in areas that I probably would never have stepped out and done that. And more so, it has actually deepened the personal relationships with those around me and something that in the past I would have never allowed. And so, while that surrender is difficult and you want to run from it, because I know I did, um, and I actually am still walking out I'm telling you, it's a freedom unlike any other. And so today, I became thankful when I surrendered. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jen. I'm Brent's wife. This morning, I'm going to talk about how I became thankful after I went through loss. And if any of you have been through loss, you might want to grab a tissue. I got mine ready, just in case. Um, Because what I'm going to say is very heavy, but the people here need to hear it, and you need to grab a hold of it. Um... Picture me standing in a bathroom. 
in complete disbelief of what I held in my hand. Wait a second, let's go back to the week before that. I was standing in a youth service like I had done every Wednesday for the last eight years. But this time, something was different. I went to the restroom and I realized I was bleeding. At that time, I was 13 weeks pregnant. And I knew something was wrong. I waited until after service, and I went to Brent, and I let him know what was going on. He was optimistic. He told me everything was going to be okay. I was bleeding, but he was still believing. The next day, we went to see the doctor, and he informed Brent and I, that the baby that we were believing in had passed away at eight weeks gestation. Fast forward to the next two days, we headed to a youth conference six hours away as I was in the process of a miscarriage. I was yet again in the middle of a bathroom stall, all alone, as the emotions flooded through my mind and I looked at my hand. But God, with his grace and his mercy, he forced me out of that bathroom. I entered into a room of people who were worshiping with the expectancy of his presence. Even though I had to just say goodbye to what might have been my only chance of having a son. I was bleeding, but I was still believing. I was emotionally drained and spiritually weak, but the Holy Spirit empowered me and drove me into the arms of my father during my grief. Like the story of the woman with the issue of blood, she sought Jesus for healing. She knew the power of his presence. You can find the story in Matthew 9. They're going to put the scripture on the screen. Matthew 9:21 says, For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Just like the woman made her way through the crowd, I made my way through the crowd to the front of the stage. And I touched Jesus' garment hem. I knew the power of his presence. I looked at Brent and I told him that I had just passed the baby in the restroom. We held each other and we cried and we worshiped together. And we cried out unto the Lord, just like the woman with the issue of blood. She grabbed his garment hem. She needed a physical healing, but we needed an emotional healing. Even though God's plan doesn't make sense sometimes. Even in the middle of a hard situation, you might not understand God's timing. 
It's comforting, though, to look back and see his plan for our lives. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For in light and momentary troubles are achieving us an internal glory that outweighs them all. That these momentary troubles that we go through are preparing us for the weight of his glory. I had no idea that soon after that had happened, that I would be returning home to Arizona to become senior pastors of Encounter AZ. Here I would have the opportunity to minister to people who had been through the same situations I had been through. And they say it's hard to be able to minister to people if you don't know what they're going through, if you've never been through something hard. That's how I became thankful after I went through loss. Through my time in ministry, God has blessed me with many sons, some of whom that I share this platform with as externs. And I'm grateful for what God has brought me through. Even though your situation does not make sense, even if you feel stuck, even if you feel like you can't move on, if you feel like the weight of your situation is crushing you, trust the power of his presence. Run into the arms of your father. But God, I don't understand. Why did you promise me a son? Why am I bleeding? None of this makes sense. I need you to heal me. Just like the woman with the issue of blood believed in a miracle, she believed in her promise. She knew the power of his presence. She didn't let anything stand in her way of getting to the feet of Jesus. Don't let anything stand in your way. If you are going through a hard situation and you need a miracle and you need a healing, get to the arms of your father. Get to his feet. Get in his presence. Receive your miracle. Receive your healing. Receive your pits, your peace in the midst of your storm. And that's how you can become thankful after you go through loss. Great job, guys. You know, like Pastor Jim was saying, I think sometimes when we're going through things, I'm going to have the worship team come and help me as well. Um, it takes understanding that you need to get to Jesus. And if you can't run to Jesus, you got to walk to Jesus. And if you can't even walk to Jesus, you got to crawl your way to Jesus. And if you feel like you can't even do that, claw your way to Jesus. 
And I know I've been through things sometimes where I think to myself, I can't even do that. I'm, I'm stuck. I can't even move. I'm paralyzed by what I'm going through this morning. And if that's you, I got to tell you, I think Jesus will come to you. Because nothing is going to keep Jesus from coming to his children. I read a story a few years ago about this um, father who took his, walked his son. It was just him and his son to school every day. And every day they'd take the same path to school and he'd walk through the gates of the school, turn left and go to his son's classroom, uh, tell him goodbye, and he'd walk right into his classroom and he'd walk back home. They did this every day for years until one day he dropped his son off from school and he walked back home and there was a, a seven point something earthquake in the city. And so immediately he thought to himself, I gotta get to my son, and so he ran back to the school only to find uh, that when he looked through the gate all there was was a rubble where the school used to be and so he said this can't be I, this can't be I have to get to my son I have to I, there, he could still be okay and so he went through the gate and he counted the amount of steps to, to the path before he turned left and, and he remembered how many steps it was to his son's classroom and he got to the place where he thought this is where his classroom used to be and it was just a giant pile of rocks and he just started to dig and he spent a few hours there digging to the point where he, he was asking people for help. Help me, help me. And for a little while, people helped. But then they said, it's, it's too much. And eight hours later, he was still digging. His hands were bleeding. And he, he just said, I can't give up. I can't give up. He, he dug another eight hours. And now he had to take off his shirt and put it, wrap it around his hands so that he didn't tear his hands further than they were already torn. And he, he was sweating. And, and he, he was about to give up hope. It was 16 hours in. And he thought, I can't give up. I have to get to my son. He dug more and more, eight more hours. He had dug 24 hours in rubble looking for his son. And it finally, all of a sudden, he heard a whisper and he heard people talking, and, and he said, son, is that you? And all of a sudden, he heard his son say back to him, dad, I told them that you would come. I knew you would not give up. And, and he dug, and he got to be with his son again. And I got to tell you this morning, if you are stuck and you can't move in the middle of a storm, you serve a God who is digging for you, and he's not going to get up until you get on the other side of this thing. He's not finished with you. Will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? Father, I thank you, God, that you love your children. You love every person in this room this morning, God, whether they're, they've begun a relationship with your son Jesus Christ or not, God. I believe that, that you're calling us to your feet this morning, Lord. I believe that you're digging people out, Father, even in the midst of a trial, even in the midst of circumstances they don't understand. We remind ourselves that you never said that we would have an easy life. You said that you would be with us and you'd never leave us or forsake us. In fact, you said that in this life you will have trouble, but we can take heart because you overcame the world. The victory's already won. So this morning we claim that victory in Jesus' name. Can I share one more story with you before we pray? When I, when I was a... A kid, I've shared this story uh, a long time ago, but I feel the urgency from the Holy Spirit to share it again this morning. My my grandparents, they had a they had a uh, a home up in a place called Spring Valley. You know where that's at? Anybody? Arizona? No? Okay, maybe a few of you. But I'd go up there with them sometime on the weekends and stay the night with them and. It was just like a vacation home they had. They lived in the valley, but they'd go up there. And I remember I loved going up there and just being outdoors with my grandfather and stuff. And one time he was, he was working on the propane tank outside of their house. 
and he took off the lid and under it was a beehive. And my grandfather was wearing gloves and a long sleeve shirt and he was working. I was in short sleeves. And I remember looking down at my arms and my entire arms were just covered in bees because we'd angered them by breaking into their nest. And my grandfather came over and he took his hands and, and his gloves and he just wiped all the bees off my arm, but I got stung twice on this arm. And I remember I did what every good grand uh, child would do and every good grandfather would do. He said, go see your grandma, I don't know. And, and so I went inside to my grandmother and she was you know, uh, helping me uh, hugging me and washing off my arms and just doing everything that she could do to, to make me feel better. And I remember my grandfather came in and he said something to me I'll never forget. He said, I know it hurts now, but I need you to know something that you won the war. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, when a bee stings, it dies. And so those bees that stung you are dead. They may have won that battle, but you won the war. And so sometimes I like to remind the enemy of that statement from my grandfather because sometimes in life bees will buzz, but that's all they are because the victory's already won and they can sting me. But I remember the words of Paul who said, death, where is your sting? It's swallowed up in victory. So in the middle of wherever you're at this morning, whatever storm you're going through, I dare you to just declare victory over the enemy and say, God, that's just some bees buzzing, but I know the war's already won. You already did it. Come on, we're going to worship this morning. I'm going to ask our externs that, that's, that this morning minister to come up here, and I want to invite you to come and receive prayer this morning. Whatever you're going through, they would love to pray with you and see God continue to work you through. If you're in the valley this morning, there's a mountaintop on the other side of this valley. We want to agree with you in prayer. So come and get prayer before you leave. Let's worship him this morning. Let's celebrate victory in Jesus' name.